Welcome to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts speaking, Frank. I am an active New York City police officer, and I'm part of Reps for Responders. I've had the honor and privilege to journey through the labyrinth with my other host, Jay, the real Jumpman Jay on Instagram. He's a veteran officer and also part of the SWAT team in one of the cities in New York. We would just like to thank you for journeying through the labyrinth with some of the great guests that we have had on the show so far. We will continue to make episodes with all the positive feedback that we have received. If anyone has any idea, topic, or anyone we would like to interview, please email us at repsforresponders at gmail.com. Reps for Responders is a nonprofit out of Rockland County, New York. We provide free open gym for all active, retired, and volunteer first responders, military, and veteran. Reps for Responders also has a weekly Zoom meeting, which is a support group every Sunday at 7 p.m. to let first responders and military let off steam or talk about anything that they want to talk about, positive, negative, or anything they're struggling with. Reps for Responders has five certified recovery coaches through New York State to help battle addiction and alcoholism. If anyone is struggling, please don't be afraid to reach out to Reps for Responders. You can find us on Instagram at reps underscore four underscore responders or visit our website at repsforresponders.org. Again, from myself and Jay, personally, we thank you. As a recovering alcoholic, I would like to personally thank you because you have kept me sober just for today. All in and have a great day. What's up, everybody? How you doing? My name is Frank. I'm a police officer in New York. Welcome to Inside the Labyrinth podcast. This is episode three. In episode two, we had a great guest, Josh Bryant from Jailhouse Strong. That'll be up on Spotify very soon. And Anchor, and hopefully if iTunes wants to work, it'll be on the Apple podcast. Um, with my other host, Jay, as usual. Jay, how you doing, man? How's it going, guys? It's uh, Jay Lacayo, a.k.a. the real Jumpman Jay. A police officer in the city of White Plains, uh, and I work for the emergency service unit. We got on the show and today, Frankie. We got a we got a great guest. Um, not not only is he a, a great into not only is he a great human, but uh, he he does great work out there. And I wanted to really bring him on onto our podcast um, and tell him, and we'll tell people what what he does for a living and really what his whole podcast is all about. James started uh, Behind the Shield now podcast and i wanted to have james kick it off introduce what you do for a living man and uh how did uh your podcast uh begin to start how you doing guys well firstly thank you for having me on the show oh, pleasure having you man honor to meet you um so yeah my my history kind of as far as first responder is about let me know see 16 years ago now um after moving to the u.s from england i became a firefighter and then ultimately a pa- paramedic as well um, so I did that a total of 14 years and about five years ago, we had a horrible couple of years where I buried about six of my friends. Um, and it was from a host of things from, uh, autoimmune disease and, and heart attacks through the, um, overdose and suicides and just, just some horrendous you know, losses that we had. And it made me realize that, um, there was a need for better information on wellness. And I, as an avid podcast guest, I had a history in um, exercise physiology in college as well. Um, 
I knew that there was great information out there, but the stuff I was seeing delivered to our professions, um, there was just a lot more we could add to it, a lot better um, uh, information and some other experts that weren't being drawn from. So I, three and a half years ago, I decided to start a podcast which is called Behind the Shield, and it was for basically, I mean, it's for everyone on planet Earth, really, but the focus was uh, first responders, military, and like you know, ER personnel, that kind of group. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was it. The, I, I basically decided to find the greatest minds on planet Earth and just bring them to this podcast. So some of them are, you know, experts in their field. Some of them are men and women with just incredibly powerful stories of, of overcoming some horrific you know, events and then becoming resilient on the other side. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I am. And then about a year and a half ago, I was at a crossroads and decided to focus on this podcast. So I basically retired early, took that retirement and just put it into giving myself a paycheck for a year and a half and focused on this. So that's kind of where, where we are now. And then the coronavirus hit. So <laughs> here we are. Well, I'm glad. Uh, first, I'm glad you're with us. And where are you exactly right now? Uh, I live in Ocala, Florida, which is, if you put a pin right in the middle of the state of Florida, that's pretty much where we are. Oh, just a little different than London, right? Or England? I'm sorry. Uh, yes, yes. It's it's a lot sunnier, a lot more white sandy beaches than, than the UK, that's for sure. But I still love my home. So, how long, so, the, to break it down, so you were a firefighter and a, a paramedic. Was that at the same time, or was it just two separate? Uh, you did you did it uh, basically two separate careers, or they matched together? No. So down here, you do them simultaneously. You are a firefighter, paramedic. Um, the I started off as an EMT, which I did for many years because I moved around. I ended up working for four different departments on the east and the west coast for family reasons. Um, and uh, so it was only a few years ago I was finally able to get into medic school and, and finish that up so then finally you know finished my last few years as a firefighter paramedic which was always my goal I mean you know you want to be as well trained as you can but because I moved around every time I was about to start trying to get uh, into medic school which is a, in a very very intense one-year program um, I could see that I was about to have to up sticks and, and move locations so uh, I just put it on the back burner until I was settled down now, is that something you always wanted to do or you kind of just took the test type of deal or is that something you always wanted to do since you were, you know, a child? Yeah. So, no, I, I did. And I've, I've told the story a couple of times. Um, when I was little, I dreamed of, of being a doctor and a fireman and funny enough, a stuntman, which I ended up doing too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, wow. yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. But my, my firefighter dreams were shot because I had a, you know, regular annual tests as a kid, and they told me I was colorblind. Did those little books with the numbers on them, and wow. um, and, I, and I could see some of them. I just couldn't see all of them. And so they basically taught, flat out told me, well, you can't be a firefighter, you can't be a, a jet pilot, you can't be any of the cool jobs. Um, so I literally was in limbo for years and years and years. I went the, the medicine route, but I didn't want to be behind a desk writing prescriptions and in all honesty the academic side I didn't think I didn't think I had the capacity for the high level math that they require for getting into medic school or medical school um, and it literally took me till I was about 26 27 to realize because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box um, that I wasn't colorblind <laughs> so 
when I realized that and I actually had just moved to the US, I challenged the medical and they were like, oh, that's fine. I just named colors around their doctor's office and they're like, oh, that's good. And they checked it off. So that was the barrier. I guess, you know, the, the, the universe had other ideas for me than becoming a fireman in England. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I had always wanted to do it. It just was a kind of bumpy ride to actually get there. Yeah. Um, I want to say, James, thank you for your service. I appreciate it, man. And I'm sorry for those losses that you had to uh, go through uh, a few years yeah, ago. Well, um, thank you. And, I know uh, you guys are experiencing them at the moment with all this thing going on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, but with NYPD, we had a crazy amount of suicides last year. This year, we, we, we lost two to suicide, one retired, so that's three total, and we just lost a detective to the coronavirus. And a lot of um, um, school safety agents and just and, and New York City personnel are falling to the coronavirus, so um, it's definitely not easy. Uh, oh, this might be a hard question, man, but... There's no really way to ever get over a death, especially of a loved one. But there's ways to cope with it and go go through life where you can start to uh, be mentally tough and strong. What what's the best ways you found yourself able to cope with it in a positive way um, to get through something like that? Especially if you lose a loved one. Especially, I mean, you can you work with a guy, right? Especially in, in a fire truck or in in, in the EMS. Um, we we call it a bus in the city. You know, the next day they're not there, um, and and it's freaking. I want to stay away away from cursing, but it's not easy, man. So, what's the best guidance you can give to someone who just lost someone they're very close to, especially when you work with them every single day as more of like a, a brother figure, you know? Yeah, I think what I see um, is kind of two things. Just with with the mental health in general, and obviously this is a you know an, an acute event. Um, but the the first is understanding that you if you address it if you go through the motions of grieving you know if you if you do the right things that you will become more resilient when you come out the other side so obviously losing a, a brother firefighter or police officer you know it's not the same as losing a child or something god forbid um but you know you have to rely on it i think the same way as, as many other traumas from the job so the the tribal element i think is huge understanding that you as a human being need that group you know, that good group. So you might be in a fire station where you hate everyone. That's not the group <laughs> to be around, you know. Hopefully you're in a good crew that you that you are very nurturing to each other or, you know, um, a group of police officers or, you know, whatever your group is. But it might be your strongman gym. It might be your CrossFit gym, your church, you know, your bingo club, whatever it is. Um, but that's a big, big thing is to really lean into your support system. The people that just go off and isolate, which obviously is probably you know, being made worse with some people at the moment um, and digging, pushing those those feelings down. That's what I see over and over again. And a lot of the stories I've heard from from people on the show as well, um, that doesn't work. You know, there's there's a, um, a Mexican proverb that says they tried to bury us. They didn't know that we were seeds. And it's so pertinent to trauma, whether it's, you know, personal loss, whether it's you know seeing the stuff that we see on the job. But if you push it down, eventually it's going to grow and it's going to you know, burst out one day. Um, so that's that's the big thing is, I think, using your resources, finding out whatever positive outlets that you do have, whether it's your sport, whether it's writing, playing a musical instrument, um, you're using your, your group, you know, reaching out, asking for help when you're feeling weak. Um, but then also understanding that a lot of this stuff, if you do come out the other end, just like healing a, a sports injury, 
if you focus on it and do the right things, you'll actually be stronger on the other side and, and more able to help other people through their grief. Yeah, um, I mean, I agree with that a thousand percent. I um, got hired with a childhood friend. So um, we uh, had a friend of mine, and um, I'm going to leave his name out of it just for the sake of his family and so on and so forth. But uh, we grew up together, and, um, you know, we didn't know that we both had signed up to become police officers. So uh, usually the first date is like this big orientation, and um, I saw him standing online. So I was like, oh, man, it's awesome. Like, you know, kid I grew up with becoming a cop. So it was it was a good thing because not only was he like a good friend, but now we're about to take part in this like journey, this brotherhood, right? So, um, you know, we end up, you know, graduating the academy and then um, he ended up transferring to the department that I work for now. So I, six months after he left, I followed suit. So, you know, now I'm in a different department with my brother. You know, we all became cops together and then uh, he I got sick. So he had um, some addiction issues. He ended up losing his job. And, um, you know, um, long story short, he ended up succumbing to um, substance abuse. And um, what I learned in that whole situation was that, um, you know, I had seen him maybe a week, a week before he passed away. And, um, you know, I had asked him, you know, hey, man, how you feeling? You know, are you everything okay? Because he didn't look like himself. And, um, you know, he he's like, oh, I'm okay. But, you know, I, I could tell something was off. And that really made me... Um, questioned myself for a very long time because, you know, shortly after that he passed away and I just sat to myself and I said, you know, what could I have done better, you know, to check on my fellow you know, man, you know what I mean? It's just like, not only was he was he a good friend of mine, but like, as a human being, right, we're supposed to take care of other human beings and look over them. And I felt like, um, for a while, I felt like I failed, I failed him, I failed his family. But the beautiful thing about that whole situation was that his family kind of reached out to me and was like, no, man, it's not your fault. You know, um, you know we all could have played a, uh, you know, a bigger role. And, and um, you know, they were my support system. So I definitely hear you when you're talking about that support system and just kind of having that, that whole tribal mindset. Yeah. Well, and, and firstly, I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, losing your friend. But that's something that I, I hear a lot as well is, you know, the, the guilt, the survivor's guilt, the just guilt in general for, Maybe being the last person I spoke to, or definitely, you know, you meant to text them, but you didn't, you know, whatever it was. But it's definitely a, a double-edged sword with that. So it, it is on us to just not say, are you okay? But really, like you said, if, you got, if you're feeling like someone's not quite right, to, to push the issue. Like, not aggressively, but say, no, 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 come on, look, I can tell you're not your normal self. And then maybe what, what I'd really love is when people say, so they're open with something that makes them feel vulnerable. So you look like you're going through some stuff, you know, I, I had a flashback at Disney, you know, this is my personal story I use a lot and it came out of the blue and I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, so if you start with, with, um, uh, a story that makes you vulnerable, that kind of opens a door for them to be able to hopefully open up. But the other side of the coin is you might do all that and they still not open up, you know? So it's also on the, anyone that's listening, that's actually going through it to, to reach out because they don't realize how many people do want to help they just don't realize you're going through what what you think is painfully obvious so if we as people that are doing okay can really buddy check a lot more consistently and then educate the people that are hurting just reach out we really really want to help i think those two things will hopefully save some lives but but yeah you, i mean your story is i've heard that so many times from people and then 
they, they just feel so guilty after they're like, you know, I, I, I wish I'd, I'd seen the signs, but sadly these people hide it well too. Yeah. It's, you know, it was a difficult thing to deal with, but, um, you know, eventually, you know, with time things heal and, uh, it just, it, it's like, it's, it's part of the process too, especially with like being a police officer or being a first responder. It's like, you know, you could be sitting in a car with somebody and then, you know, a day or two later, they may not be here anymore. So it's like, I think we've learned to internalize a lot of that and, um, you know, kind of makes us a little callous, I think, man. Uh, uh, like, I know I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago. You know what I mean? I've recently yeah. got in, in, in better touch with my spirit as of lately. Um, when I say lately, like the last three and a half, four years, I've been doing some like, you know, self-improvement things and, and really focusing on like my, uh, my spirituality and, 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 you know, getting into routine and making sure that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living for something, not just existing, you know? Yeah. Well, and you touched on a very good point that I talk about quite a bit is, you know, we're all you know, the same age ish. Um, and when we were all kids, especially if you were born, like I, I was, you know, born in 74. So I grew up in the basically the eighties. Um, okay. that was Rambo and Terminator and, you know, yeah. these, these superheroes. And that's what we were taught. Men don't cry and all this BS, you know, and, and you look at the people that were portraying them as, as much as I admire them as actors, none of them were police officers, you know, members of the military, firefighters, they were actors. They were bodybuilders that were running around in front of a camera. And somehow we got distorted, the rest of us, to think that's what a, a man or a woman should be. You know, so now we have to realize that we got to reprogram that. And I always like to kind of point people to the Band of Brothers series. You look at the real men that talk at the very beginning and very end of each episode. They're speaking like 65, 70 years after they were fighting. And they're still in tears recalling. And these are some of the most heroic men that have ever walked planet Earth. So if you think you're braver than one of the easy company, then you walk around puffing your chest. Or you can look at those men who are truly showing us what a man is, which is yin and yang. You've got to be tough, but you've got to have that empathy part too. You and I signed up because you want to help people. That's a soft, empathetic part of the human spirit. Yeah, a- amen on that. You hit that on the point because I've heard that from someone actually from Chris Bell James when he made the bigger faster stronger documentary he said the same thing growing up you know you said uh, Rambo Rocky uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Hulk Hogan right wrestling American hero these are all guys that and it wasn't it wasn't really a reality right I mean you're not going to be like Rambo out there killing all these people and and being this big buff guy and just going on with your everyday life you know they leave out a lot of things and that's just not the reality of the truth of how the world works. Um, and those bodybuilders and, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, those guys are the best of the best in their craft. And it's like the 1% of the entire world. So they gave a little false description of, especially when you're growing up on, Oh, I, I want to be like them. And a lot of people that grew up in that time, uh, went through, went through that. And, um, I'm, I'm kind of glad you said, you said that because you hit it right on the point is that that really is not, reality you know like that band of bro- band of brothers uh, another great movie in the 90s right like saving private ryan like that one was i mean that that was a great a great movie and you see the hell that it's a um just to save one one guy you know what i mean just to find ryan and, and bring him back to his home because his whole family was 
killed in war. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, man. Um, to switch topics, um, you you said you had 16 years on, right? Career-wise? Uh, well, four, 14 years. 16 years ago is when I started. 14. So 14 years active okay. once I was, you know, hired. Now, 14 years of active duty. You've definitely seen a lot, been through a lot. Um, now, I'm guessing you weren't in one department for 14 years. Is that correct? Yeah. So just quick overview. I started off in the Orlando area going through the academy. Um, my wife at the time uh, wanted to move to Miami. She was kind of in the entertainment industry, not the adult entertainment industry, the, the regular one. Um, but she wanted no, to you, go to you Miami. Have there, right? <laughs> no. Um, so she went to Miami. So I worked for my first fire department. I was hired at Hialeah, which was a phenomenal department doing doing a lot with very little. Like politically, those four men and women were beaten down and are to this day. Um, so I don't think the citizens of Hialeah realize how lucky they are to have have people working you know, pretty much the lowest paid in that whole area and, you know, threatened to be cut all the time. So, um, but their academy was phenomenal. It really set the bar on my career and made me realize, made me realize that lives depend on us, you know, and that's why I find it so hard to, to get it when, you know, to see when people don't get that, when they wear a badge. Um, and then I went to Anaheim, California, because she wanted to go to Hollywood and be a movie star. Um, and another great, great department, um, set the bar very high. If you didn't make the cut on probation, you, you were out. Simple as that. There was no, you know, kind of justifying, keeping you anyway kind of thing. So um, really great training as well. And then worked there for a few years and then came back east because we had a little boy and she wanted to be back with her family. Um, and so the last 10 years were in the Orange County area, kind of Orlando area for a couple of departments there. Gotcha. And did you see every department that you went to some you you said when you went when you were in california it was almost like orlando the same type of was it the same type of crew or was it just the, what i'm trying to say is the same type of work even though you're in florida you literally went right across the united states and now you're in california so was it the yeah. same type of feel you know what i mean with those two crews um, yes. Yeah, so the, the, the work was a little different West coast. They're big on truck company operations. Um, so we were on the roof a lot when, when it was justified, that was new to me. I had to, my learning curve was pretty steep to make sure I didn't, you know, wasn't one of those people that got cut. Um, and, uh, but as far as the crews, what I learned, uh, highly, like I said, the bar was set very high as well. Um, so when the bar was set high at the front door, you had a lot of, very good firefighters and then obviously those those men and women promoted through the ranks so you had good engineers captains or lieutenants um you know battalion chiefs um and so the crews were 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 cohesive um the last one i worked for the there was no bar and even though there were some great men and women in that department it again it was despite the department not because of the department but there was a very very gaping hole in the brotherhood and sisterhood to the point where I mean it was it was awful um, so that was definitely a lesson it wasn't east-west it was just you know how much do you value your department if, if you take pride in having a high standard at the front door you can create in a phenomenal department with great brotherhood um, in obviously good training and, and physical standards but if you basically have a wide open door just because you think you just need to fill seats 
then you know there's a cost to that which was definitely the the brotherhood and and the just the standards the training and physical standards um so yeah it was, it was a very interesting journey in the fire service to see all the good things and all the bad things now, i've actually question like with the camaraderie being the way that it was did that affect your like your output like the way you came into work and and, and how you like interacted with them or were you like indifferent no, absolutely. No, it was it was completely toxic to me. And I've had a few guests recently that have talked about, um, uh, oh my goodness, I've forgotten the term now, but the effect of um, stress, occupational stress, the effect of occupational stress on, on mental health. And, and I can absolutely testify to it. I did the same jobs. You know, there were people that died in, in, in my last apartment in the, the theme park area that we served. Um, so a lot of the calls were were ridiculous they, they called the nine one for everyone there um but you know we still ran some of the, the the more grotesque calls but um yeah when when there was brotherhood i couldn't wait to get to work and i love my family and i couldn't wait to come home as well but i really loved my crew there was uh anaheim for example just to pick one of the crews those guys came to my wedding um and i left that department like i think it was eight years prior and they were all my best men and groomsmen um and uh, yeah, it was it was great. My my partner was from South Africa, and then the the, uh, the our engineer Joe was Mexican American, and our, our we had a crusty old uh, <laughs> um, you know ginger white American um, uh, truck captain who was just you know amazing to follow. And yeah, we just couldn't wait. We ate together, we worked out together, we cleaned the trucks together, we did everything together, and then conversely. The other side, I dreaded it, and I love the fire service, but I just dreaded banging my head against a brick wall because I really did try and bring initiatives and bring solutions to problems and offer to do all the work myself, and it would just get thrown back in my face. And and uh, yeah, it, it was the day I retired. I mean, people talk about weight off their shoulders. I was like freaking zippity doodah from a Disney movie. I was skipping around because I realized that you know now I could actually keep doing what I want to do, which was to make a difference in the world and help the men and women that I love so much, which is the, you know, the first responders and the military and everyone else by trying to force from the outside. Because when you work for a company, as you know, or a department, your hands are somewhat tied. You know, you can't speak freely. And I'm not talking about bitching. I'm talking about just speaking freely and saying things that need to be said. Um, so that was very liberating to get away from that and then be able to to make a difference in a different way by addressing the entire uh, profession rather than just trying to fix one department. Yeah, I give you a lot of credit for that. Um, I really do, man, and commend you for that because it's not easy. And it's not easy even going from Orlando, going to California, going back to Florida. I mean, that's just a, that's a hero journey. That's a journey in itself. And now where you are today, James, and when you started the academy, a uh, completely different person, uh, um, physically and mentally. Um, and that's all about the journey. And people need to remember, like you said, why we took, the, why first responders took the job is to help other people. Uh, and, it, and it's hard if you're in a department where you don't feel that you love the, the, you love what you do, but you just don't feel the same energy and the same, like you said, I mean, that was your family at the end of the day in Anaheim. That wasn't just the people you worked with. These people were in your wedding. They're going to be part of your life. And when you have a unit or a department like that, you got to remember that's something that is could be once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 
yeah yeah and i think that the big thing for me was then taking those lessons like right well james why was anaheim so good on, on your personal journey like well here are the things that they did well so hopefully other people will learn from that you know and, and conversely you know if you see let's say for example hiring standards being lowered and lowered and lowered well hey there should be a red flag there's a reason why the green berets and the navy seals right, have right. these annual tests you know keep their bar high you don't want and I, I don't mean to be derogatory in this way but you don't want you know a morbidly obese navy seal <laughs> huffing and puffing trying to you know do whatever it is that you set them to do there's a reason that they have to be the best and, and you and i you know both of you guys and i need to be mentally at our best and physically at our best and amongst this whole COVID thing, I just did a post yesterday on, on this, you know, right now we're seeing first responders dropping. And, and this is something that, you know, I've talked about for a long time. The, the way we work, a lot of our men and women out there is setting them up for failure, not success. You know, we're working these men and women, um, you know, not just our professionals, like junior doctors, residents, you know, these 60 hour work weeks that they do when they're, when they're um, first out of med school. You know, it's crazy. And then we're wondering why they're falling apart when when this virus hits. Well, they are way more vulnerable than the dude that works in the office because, you know, not sleeping, whether it's your rotating shifts that you guys do or whether it's the 24, 48s that we see a lot of departments do, 56-hour work weeks in the fire service. If you're even allowed to go home, if you don't get that phone call like, hey, we're understaffed, we need you need to stay again. And I'm not talking about in the middle of an emergency like now. I'm talking about all the time. Um, we're destroying them mentally and physically. So, you know, that's my thing is try and educate, not stand on a soapbox and bitch, but educate, bring all these people, you know, from the tops of athletics, you know, the, the military services, medicine that are all saying, Hey, you know, you are, you are killing your people. You need to change the way you do. You need to give more rest and recovery. You need to focus more on, on exercise. Maybe you should make, you know, uh, DTAC mandatory and have you know more frequent tests or you know outside just a range maybe actually do you know tactical training and then wherever these 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 areas are falling we can improve because the watching a folded flag being given to a grieving widow and a, and a, and a, a fire helmet being given to a you know a son or a daughter that's just you know crying and crying is awful but it's even worse when you know that that person died and it was preventable. Like if a you know, meteor came out of space and just landed on their car, there was no way of avoiding that. But if it was heart disease or cancer or something that we could have prevented through exercise, nutrition, better sleep, um, you know, changing the shift patterns, then we need to fix it. We need to honor those people that died by changing things, not just doing it the same way. Amen. Because the uh, you know a reason why I also want we wanted you to have you on the show is for this exact reason that you just said um, and we I hit it on the last show too is the average age of a police officer at 57 man um, that's really horrific and 228 just police suicides in 2019 and we're already up to 50 this year that that says something that something's not something's not right and um, I think the especially what's happening now in the world is definitely changing and I hope people don't get stuck in the now and they can see what this is what's happening now with the COVID and be like, wow, we need, need to take care of each other more. And we really need to take care of our physical and mental health. But yeah, there should be standards, I think, every six months or every year in every police and fire uh, department to pass that because not only is your life on the line, um, your partners and your crew and your unit, your team's life is on the line. 
So I'm really glad you hit on that. Um, I know you're not I know you don't do any powerlifting, crazy lifting like that, but what kind of training do you do for uh, physical activity that get, kept you 14 years? That's still, that's still a long time, man. It kept you uh, going and what you like to enjoy. Yeah. Um, so early on, I got, I got into CrossFit very, very early on. So I think it was – I always forget the year. It was either 06 or 07, um, and, which is good initially. But then, you know, I've seen this roller coaster ride that – a lot of us that did CrossFit, I'm not talking even about the originators, because I think they, they knew what they were doing, but it was trying to you know, relay it to the rest of us. Um, so I had it when early on where um, it was less is more. You just did, you know, like three on, one off, but one would just be a lift, and then one would be a longer Metcom, one would be a shorter one. Um, but that really served me well. I did martial arts, like MMA-style training um, alongside it as well. And those two really, really worked for, for quite a while. Um, but I did this last apartment. Um, I got to give them credit because I got hurt three times and it was the least, you know, physically demanding of, of the departments as far as the, what we actually ran on. But I think it was just like the Jenga thing. You know, it was when I started falling apart and I realized that, again, with this sleep, if you if you, you know, speak to Mark Bell or any of these top um, athletes, sleep is a big part. That's when you heal. That's when your muscles, you know, your hypertrophy um grows you know that's when the atrophy becomes hypertrophy and um uh the uh, i think i've got that terminology wrong but anyway you're repairing your muscles <laughs> um and you know your your ligaments your tendons are also repairing well if you think about for a fire service for example every third day you're not sleeping that it's not if it's when you are going to break at some point um so when i got her i really had to look at how i was training so i shifted and i still do the CrossFit, our gym where I coach, um, our training moved a lot back into more accessory work, you know, a lot of more stabilizer muscles and, um, you know, functional movements. I added um, strongman training in, which was amazing for the fire service and obviously for you guys too. Awesome. So a lot of sleds, sandbags, you know, uh, carries, overhead yoke carries, um, very, very pertinent stuff that really helped fix a lot of the imbalances. Um, and then, uh, there's another thing I do called foundation training, which is amazing for back health. Uh, I used it to, to heal my back when I hurt it and I, I do it ever since. Um, and then, uh, recently I've been, while we've been locked away, I've actually got back into yoga and I've got gymnastic rings and a punch bag in my garage. So I've been doing a lot more striking and, uh, just very strict gymnastic drills to try and again, build up my shoulders. So as you get older, especially in what we do, um, you can stay very, very healthy. It just takes more work. And I think that's why you see a lot of people that fall off the wagon because you can't just go and crush it in the gym like you did when you were 20. You realize that you are breaking down. So it's a lot more research, a lot more patience, some of the more tedious stuff, but it pays dividends. It really does. But between that and then understanding your nutrition and trying to get good sleep when you are at home, understanding sleep hygiene, um, that's really it. But the strongman, yeah, as far as pertinent to the fire department, I love strongman movements because they are so, A, natural to the human body's biomechanics and B, so pertinent to what we do on the fire ground. Nah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy you said that um, <laughs> because we just had, had a guest uh, previously on episode two um, and he just came out with a book, Josh Bryant, Jahal Strong, um, Tactical Strongman. And I'll send that to you. And it's really uh, just 
just came out and everything you just talked about, he breaks it down in a book um, and it's, it's on Amazon and it's for tactical athletes. You know, really focuses Brilliant. on first responders, military and people that just want to be ready for life. And with the sleep is so important for humans, but for us, because like you said, when our muscles, right, they get bigger because they get stressed out and then they need to re- repair and recover. And during sleep, everything gets repaired, man. Your muscles, your, your nervous system, your testosterone increases. That's the magic pill right there. There's, there you don't need the pill. That's it right there is sleep. Um, and that's how we, we run, literally. That's how we run our life is, is sleep. So I'm glad you brought that up, man. Yeah, well, I'm definitely interested in looking at the book. I mean, anyone that's writing stuff that's pertinent to our uh, our profession, I apologize for the background noise of plane flying right over my head. Oh, it's all right. Um, um, yeah, I maybe mean, that, that's what I thought. That's maybe what... call the plane to pick you up. <laughs> get, get, no, they're still able to need, fly. I don't know why. Guys like you in New York. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was looking uh, at that too, as far as volunteers, and I even thought about trying to. Um, you know, add my name to a list and come up there. But honestly, I think that the spreading the awareness and spreading the information like you guys are doing with your podcast now is equally as important because most people are at home. And yeah, we do need extra hands, you know, I mean, but we also need to, to share information while everyone is at home. It's such an important time to get good wellness information to the people. So when they come out and they're distracted by everyday life again, hopefully they've taken some new tools into that profession with them. Yeah, I mean, that's the Frank. Um, I think the next coming months are going to be crucial. Uh, you know, this is the time to put out the content, you know what I mean? Because everybody's sitting in the house and, um, you know, you want to be able to give them a wealth of knowledge so that when, when we do reassimilate back into the world, we're going to be better educated and better prepared. And God forbid something like this does happen again. Um, you know, I think a lot more people will be more versed. You know, I think they won't be so taken by, um, taken by storm, you know, because um, this kind of took us by surprise you know we had heard of it you know a lot of people were just on some conspiracy theory type of um you know mindset and others were who are in the medical field so i'm a, i'm an emt as well so um you know i work with medics and these guys that i was working with were basically saying like you know when this comes here it's going to be devastating and you know slowly but surely it made its way here and then you know you know frank and i are in a hotbed you know we are in you know the state of new york is almost accounts for 50% of the, you know, the cases in the United States. So it's like, um, now's the time to educate people, you know, sleep hygiene, nutrition, mental health, like get everybody up to speed so that in the event that something like this does happen again, I hope I never see this again in my lifetime, but, um, you know, this is the time to educate people, you know, everyone's sitting home and, and, you know, there's only so much Instagram you can go through. Only so much TikToks you can watch, right? <laughs> you, know, you can only be on Twitter for so long. And then, you know, podcasts, I've actually been doing my research, and they're up substantially. So, I mean, this is the way to educate people. People are sitting down, and you know, they're waiting for what I call the daily gospel. So, you know, yeah. I thank people like you that are out here educating guys like us and, you know, other people just, you know, putting out that information and helping, you know, humans become better human beings. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think this is an opportunity for a lot of us to, you know, that aren't as affected. Obviously, you guys are in a city that, you know, is so densely populated that the buildings go up, you know. I mean, you know, there's the, the per square mile 
population, you know, it, it's not a surprise at all that you're going to have a faster spread. I mean, and that's that's no, no, uh, you know, disrespect to New York. It's just it's just the, the the dynamic of that city. You know, it's a very very densely populated city. So once it's there, it's there. It's going to hit a lot of people. Um, but I think that there's a lot of places around the country where I think the the slope is going to be kind of gentle, and it's going to they're going to look around and go, well, that wasn't too bad. So my thing to everyone is, well, while you've got this time, say you're not in the middle of a crisis, you don't have a loved one that's fighting, you know, for their life. Use this time, like educate yourself, work on your health, you know, work, catch up on sleep. Don't don't beat yourself up. You don't have to get up at at four thirty just because Jocko Willing does. You know, sleep in, <laughs> catch up. Um, and, uh, yeah, literally. and do something like ask yourself, do you still love doing it? And hopefully a lot of people listening are first responders and still love their job. But, you know, say you're in a job that you don't like or a department that you don't like, or you're thinking about retirement, you know, whatever it is, use this time to reevaluate. If you've been going to work and hating it, maybe it's time to not go back to that job. You know, if you never, if you always wanted to play piano just start playing, you know, there are so many positive things that come out of this. And I hope there's a lot of really good discussions. That's my whole thing is to really start getting people to ask questions. Like, for example, I know that there's a lot of people, um, cause I've, I've spoke to my son's counselor at school. A lot of the kids mental health is actually better. Now they're out of school than it was when they were in. doesn't mean they shouldn't go to school, but there's clearly some stressors in school that were making it worse. I, I guarantee you standardized testing is probably one of them, you know? So what lessons can we learn when we look around you know, do we need to eat at a restaurant every single day? People are learning to cook again now. Do maybe we shouldn't cover our food with chemicals and keep our animals locked in factory farms? Maybe the older, smaller farm is the healthy way to go. You know what I mean? So um, I hope that we really, really start asking questions when we come out the other end and start to reframe the nation's health because that's how we become resilient to viruses. That's how we become a, a deterrent to domestic threat or foreign threats is to have a nation of fit, healthy men and women that people don't want to screw with and, you know, the viruses really don't affect that badly. Amen. That was great, man. I really hope that people, people do um, ask those questions. And like you kind of said, it's work smarter, not harder. Uh, I feel like people should come out of this um, a much stronger person um, maybe not physically because I can't go to the gym but mentally you know what what can I do now to prevent anything like this ever happening again and what can I do now to keep my my mentally fit and my kids mentally fit um, because this is causing a lot of stress for everybody and no one ever thought that they would uh, we, you know we're sitting here now we never think that uh, we'd be talking about this type of COVID and being on lockdown now for two months and it's probably unfortunately going to last um so there is definitely a lot of questions you know sometimes the simpler ways they work you know keep it simple stupid right so hopefully those uh questions uh, will be answered like I, I think like i said if we get through this and don't get stuck in the now in the future this could be something uh we learn a lot from and move society more in a positive and forward way if we if we stick together. So thank you for that, James. I appreciate that. Um, speaking of questions, man, before we wrap up, I got a few basic questions just to get to know you a little more. Yeah. Uh, so to start, very broad. Uh, I know you, you've definitely heard this before. What's your favorite movie? Um, I or love uh, the, Green, 
the Green Mile and the Shawshank Redemption are two of my favorites. I don't know what it is about prisons, but uh, um, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, they're they're great. I mean, there's so many that I love, but yeah, those are always a couple. And then uh, the Power of One is another good one set in South Africa. I think that's also Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah, Morgan Freeman. Your favorite sport uh, and your team with that sport? Um, funny enough, being British, the only time I support any team is when England actually plays, or any British team, including Ireland. Um, that's the funny thing, you know, people segregate, like we're on these different islands. We're all one, or basically two rocks that are stuck right next to each other. So I consider myself from that collection of rocks, English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh. Um, so I, I'll obviously root for them, but I love, um, I love the UFC. So watching people like Georges St-Pierre, who's obviously retired uh, now, but I like, I like the martial arts. I like it when someone can be an absolute killer, but also a gentleman at the same time. So I don't like seeing the kind of WWE theatrics we see in some of the, the fights these days, but the, the real martial artists, the real, um, you know, walk softly, carry with a big stick kind of guys. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's the ones I like to watch. Float like a butterfly, sting like a big... Uh, are you a exactly. Connor fan? Are you a Connor fan? McGregor? As a fighter, yes. I would love to sit down with him because I think behind the mouth that obviously has made him a lot of money, I wonder if he's actually a good person. I mean, you know, we've seen some things where he's lost his temper and, you know, right. certainly not conducted himself well in public. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to talk to him. I, one person I'd love to get on the show is Tyson Fury, one of the world um, heavyweight oh, champions yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. And, uh, Individual. yeah. And uh, Anthony Joshua would be another one. Both of those seem good down-to-earth people. You know, they really do. So I think, um, yeah, I'd love to, to try and get them on one day. That would be amazing. And even Georges St. Pierre, I'm working on trying to get him on, but we'll see. That'd be, be awesome. Talk about a comeback story, right, for Tyson. Yeah. Um, and this, the next question kind of leads into what you just said. Uh, if you had one person to meet, uh, who could? Um, and I think, would you gonna have to go with Tyson Fury or someone else? Um, you know who I'd really, I've been working on it and I need to follow up. Um, if for all people that are Bruce Lee fans, one of his best friends is Dan Eno Santo, who, um, was a Kali Eskrima martial artist, but he was Bruce's best friend too. And I did a seminar with him. When I say I did, I, I, I was a participant of a seminar that he put on in, in Florida. We were supposed to be doing an interview and it kind of just never went anywhere. Um, but that is someone I'd love to get. He's obviously older now, but I mean, what an incredible life story. Um, he's a huge historian of the Philippines. My wife's family are Filipino. Uh, she's half Filipino. Um, but the, the journey of martial arts that he's seen from watching not only his own training, but Bruce Lee's, you know, evolution. Um, I'm obviously losing Bruce. And then, you know, what he's seen for now. I mean, he's still teaching and he's, I think he's in his 80s now. Um, it's uh, that'd be uh, amazing. So I think if, if one person, because obviously, you know, you want to try and get some of these these elders um, while they're still able to to communicate and still have their health. Um, so, yeah, I think he'd be an amazing person to get on. If you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, same meal, what would it be? English roast, hands down. <laughs> so roast beef. You said that with <laughs> Yeah, I, I, we literally have that. Not, I wouldn't say every week, but we have it a lot. And in England, that's what they call the Sunday roast. So, um, yeah, and then Sunday breakfast is pretty awesome too. So, 
yeah, I'm still I'm still British through and through. I mean, I adore living in the US and serving, but yeah, I'm still very uh, very ingrained Britishman. That's where your roots are from, man. You'd be proud of it. That's awesome. Uh, yes. One time frame, one time frame, like a time machine to go back to. It could be anywhere in life. The pyramids, 1800s, 1600s, and the knowledge you have now. Where would you go back? Or it could be 10 years ago. Um, honestly, I I really think I'd go back like a hundred years and take video and everything and just talk to farmers and look at how food is grown and you know how how livestock is raised and um the natural moving that people are doing on a daily basis i mean obviously this would be a little bit more rural i know um uh you know the industrialized industrial revolution started happening by then but yeah to show people that we don't have to go very far back to see where we really screwed up our food system literally so you know just to, to to show that that we it's not about you know reinventing the wheel we did this so well for for millennia and we just screwed it up in the last 80 plus years so i think that would be a great lesson to bring back from the past you know it wouldn't have to go two three hundred years and maybe that's the lesson now that we talked about earlier before that we can find out once this is all over and hopefully for the years to come you know yeah um i hope so so again james thank you so much man for being on uh, basically just having a good foundation and good knowledge and make a difference in this world, man. Um, not only for first responders, for just everyday people and, and human life in general. So I thank you. Um, again, my name is Frank. You can find me on Instagram and social media at reps underscore four underscore responders. And James, uh, where can they find you at? Um, yeah. So the behind the shield podcast is the podcast. Um, and the best place to go is Instagram, which is behind the shield nine one one. I think the handle is. Um, and then you know that that's I have other platforms, but they seem a bit crap. So <laughs> I'll just put that one out there. And then the the link is on there for the website, which is basically my name, jamesgearing.com, which has got all the all the episodes on. And we're probably about to hit, I guess, three hundred pretty much when you put this out. So yeah, three hundred episodes, free content for improving your life. Yeah, it's awesome. I was gonna say you're close to three hundred. Last time I saw it was 290-something, so you're really close. So congrats yeah. on that, man. And uh, Jay, where, where can they find am, you at, Jay? They can find me uh, on Instagram, the real Jumpman Jay, spelled as it sounds. And um, James, I just want to tell you, I am very impressed. Uh, have a lot, you have a huge wealth of knowledge, man. Um, I learned a lot just from this 40-something minutes on, the, um, on this podcast, man. So thank you for allowing us to pick your brain and uh, I know I truly gained something from you. Yeah, well, thank you both. I mean, it, I, this is what I love is just conversation. You know, it's nice as well here to, to yabber a little bit because normally I have to make myself be quiet so that you know, the guests can can talk. I think that's what you guys have done very well today as well. You know, I, I hate listening to podcasts where it's about the host. You know what I mean? And they, they do more talking mm-hmm. than the guests. So, um, but yeah, I mean, thank you as well. We're we're the same people. We're just you know first responders that realize that we can just do a little bit more and I think the more podcasts like you know, what you guys are doing and what I'm trying to do, the more rabbit holes you send people. No one's standing from a you know a soapbox saying this is the way you should eat, this is the way you should lift. It's an immersion project. Find what works for you and then and then run with it. You know. So thank you both for having me and thank you both for starting yours. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, man. On that, I'll end with a nice amen. God bless everybody. 
Have a great day. And James, uh, talk to you soon, man. Thanks for everything you're doing and be safe. All right. Cheers, mate. Thank you. All right, man. Be safe. Have a good one.